This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. ShipBob's warehouse management system can improve your efficiency, allow you to grow faster, and save you money all through one WMS platform. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. There's that moment in the original Jurassic Park movie when the scientists are driving through the park for the very first time and they see a brachiosaurus walking by their jeep. It's, it's a dinosaur. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whenever I watch that scene, I wonder what would that be like to see this long, extinct, magnificent creature brought back from the fossil graveyard. Unfortunately, it would likely require some movie magic. Because as we learned from evolutionary biologist Beth Shapiro in yesterday's episode, the chances of seeing dinosaurs resurrected from their DNA are next to nil. Dinosaurs went extinct more than 65 million years ago. Mm -hmm. We're never going to get DNA from something that's that old. But there are other iconic extinct animals from the more recent past that have been better preserved. And as you may have heard, there are people now working to bring some of them back to life. This month, the company is looking to bring back the dodo bird from extinction. Colossal Biosciences says it'll start by examining... Colossal also wants to bring back two other extinct animals, the woolly mammoth and the Tasmanian tiger. The dodo bird. It's a complicated project using ancient DNA sequencing. The end result would be an altered version of the dodo bird. Beth Shapiro is involved in a number of these de-extinction projects. As the co-director of the Paleogenomics Lab at the University of California, Santa Cruz, she's an expert on this sort of stuff. And yet, she remains skeptical. If I wrote a book called How to Clone a Mammoth that was basically, you can't do this. Today on the show, the second part of our conversation with Beth Shapiro about how her initial work mapping the dodo genome laid the groundwork to bring it back from extinction or at least some version of it. Plus, how working to resurrect extinct animals might help protect vulnerable present-day species. I'm Aaron Scott, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, one of the largest recipients of NIH funding. Dana-Farber scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years, data through 2022. They've made one advanced cancer discovery after another for over 75 years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. The idea of bringing animals back from extinction has been in the news a lot of late. Most recently, the company Colossal Biosciences announced that it's going to try to bring back the dodo bird. Beth Shapiro is the lead geneticist for the company, and she explains how the idea of something like bringing back the dodo, or what's called de-extinction, got its start. 
from the very beginning of my involvement with Ancient DNA, whenever we would publish a paper, didn't matter what the paper was, what the animal was, how excited we were about the ecological implications of our results or anything like that, the only question that we consistently were asked was, what does this mean about how close we are to bringing a mammoth back to life, right? And so this is just, it's the question, and it has consistently been the question that we are asked every time we publish anything. In fact, when I was doing research for my most recent book, Life As We Made It, I found an article from the New York Times that was published in 1984, just after the very first ancient DNA paper was published. A team of scientists working in Alan Wilson's lab at Berkeley had gotten a tiny fragment of DNA from a quagga, which is a type of, of zebra. And it was the very first ancient DNA paper that was ever published. And Alan Wilson got to be the very first ancient DNA scientist ever to be asked what this meant about when we were going to bring mammoths back to life. And that pattern <laughs> has not ended. <laughs> One-track minds, we humans. Um, you know, colossal... George Church was was has claimed that he's been working on bringing mammoths back to life for several years, and he teamed up with Ben Lamb, and they formed Colossal, and they got a huge amount of investment from the tech industry to be able to build technologies that you would need to bring extinct species back to life. And I was brought on as an advisor, mostly because I've said a lot of things about how it's not possible to bring extinct species back to life. <laughs> and so they were like, let's bring her on board so we can have a conversation about this. So... Do you still stick by your take that it's impossible? I maintain that once, and, and, and they don't disagree, once a species is gone, once it's extinct, it is not possible to bring back an identical copy of that species. But there are technologies that will allow us to resurrect extinct traits, to move bits and pieces of genes that might be, uh, might be adapted to a large animal like an elephant living in the Arctic. And you might be able to use CRISPR gene editing approaches to create an Arctic adapted elephant, which if you look on Colossal's website is what they say that they're doing with their mammoth project. And they've also declared that any technology that they develop that could be used for conservation, they will make available for conservation purposes for free. And I think this is a deeply laudable thing. I I like that there is new money from tech people that's going into conservation Hmm. at a time where we need new tools to protect and preserve biodiversity that exists today. Mm -hmm. So when um, they were doing their fundraising round, their next fundraising round, and Ben was asking, well, where should we invest next? I think that one of the groups of animals that is most in danger today is birds. And we don't have technologies that make it possible to clone birds. So they said, so what should our target species for de-extinction be? And I happen to have a dodo tattoo. And so it was pretty easy for me to... uh... (laughs) Show and tell? Show and tell. No, I think the dodo is actually a, a really nice example because, um, you know, we're working with people in Mauritius who are interested to see the dodo come back. It only lived on Mauritius. Dodos went extinct because of things like cats and crab-eating monkeys and, and, and rats that were introduced by people when they first arrived in Mauritius several hundred years ago. And are still there, I'm presuming. Yeah, and they're still there. That's right. Yeah. And so some concerted efforts to identify places where these predators could be removed would be there. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's another 
another uh, group out there called Revive and Restore. It's a nonprofit. They've been at this longer than Colossal have, and I'm on the board of directors for Revive and Restore. They've just launched a huge initiative for biotech for birds that is involving um, academics from around the world who are all doing different things to try to help figure out how we can create tools that allow us to edit the genomes of birds. I'm excited to see where this investment goes and how it can help us to protect birds that are alive today from becoming extinct. And can you say a little bit about more about how that would be used from a conservation angle? I mean, would the idea be that we would edit the genomes to help them survive certain things they can't survive now? I think the most successful use of this technology so far has been for the American chestnut tree. This is a project that's been run out of SUNY, New York. Uh, by Bill Powell and Chuck Maynard. They've been working on this for a while. The American chestnut tree, there used to be billions of these trees that lived across the eastern part of North America until the early 20th century when a fungus that was introduced presumably as part of a shipment of Asian uh, chestnut trees that are resistant to this disease started to get into them. And within a couple of decades, all of the trees were were gone. Um, They're not entirely dead. There's little zombie trees roots survive underground and they can shoot up these little zombie trees for a short period of time until the fungus gets in them. Um, But what what the team from SUNY did is they looked to other plants that also deal with fungi like this and they they thought, how are these other plants protecting themselves against this type of fungus? They found a gene from wheat that produces an enzyme that neutralizes the acidity that the fungus produces. So the fungus will excrete this acidity that will burn holes through the inside of the plant and then the fungus grows through those holes. But if you have this enzyme, you can neutralize that acidity so the fungus can survive, but it just can't really proliferate. It can't kill you. And so they've created transgenic versions of the American chestnut tree that they call the darling variety. And these trees are currently undergoing federal regulatory approval process and hopefully will be able to be released. And and when they, when, I'm going to say, when they are approved, they will be the first genetically modified organism created solely for the purpose of forest restoration. In habitats across the world today, the pace of change is faster than evolution by natural selection can keep up. And obviously, it would be best if we could just take a step back, if we could give species and habitats the time that they need to be able to catch up, to be able to adapt to today's environments. But we can't. Um, Our footprint is too big. It's too late. But it's in these situations where these new technologies can offer hope. We can sequence genomes and use that to make more informed breeding decisions. We can potentially resurrect extinct diversity by cloning. We can even maybe move adaptive traits between species. Of course, there are risks to adopting new technologies, and we're far from understanding what all the risks might be or developing the approaches that we would need to mitigate these risks. But there is also a tremendous risk in not allowing ourselves the time to explore what these new technologies can do. And this is really where I feel that these tools, this idea about de-extinction, has the most potential to really help in the future. If it takes imagining that we're going to bring a mammoth back to life or we're going to recreate a dodo to get more people excited, to have people invest into the development of these tools for biodiversity, then then I'm all for it. We're really at a pivotal point right now where we need as many tools and ideas as we can in conservation. And this is a great opportunity. Let's do it. Thank you, Beth. It's just been a joy to dream about dodos and mammoths with you. It's coming back to life. 
Beth Shapiro is a professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of California, Santa Cruz. And she's the author, most recently, of Life As We Made It, How 50,000 Years of Human Innovation Refined and Redefined Nature. Starting up again. Before we go, a huge thank you to all of our Plus subscribers out there listening. When you subscribe to NPR Plus, you get the shows sponsor-free, and you know that you're making a huge difference in supporting our work and making it possible for us to bring you these episodes every weekday. If you're not a subscriber, learn how. Go to plus.npr.org slash shortwave. This episode was produced by Thomas Liu and Burley McCoy. It was edited by Gabriel Spitzer and fact-checked by Anil Oza. Our audio engineer was Josh Newell. Rebecca Ramirez is our managing producer. Brennan Crump is our podcast coordinator. Beth Donovan is the senior director of programming. And Anya Grundman is the senior vice president of programming. I'm Aaron Scott. Thanks for listening to Shortwave from NPR. We're coming back to life. This message comes from EarthX. This April, the EarthX 2024 Congress of Conferences is the sustainability summit you won't want to miss. Five days of conferences covering the built environment, the natural environment, e-capital, oceans, and conservation. EarthX brings together business executives, nonprofits, and educators to engage in powerful conversations about energy, tech, media, and beyond for one important mission protecting the planet. Please join them and register at earthx.org. You can't fully understand the moment we're living in without knowing where we've been. On every episode of NPR's Throughline, we go back in time to where it started. Like, really started. To answer one important question, how did we get here? Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.